Well, we uh, have been making our way through the book of Ruth, and we saw last week how uh, Boaz has really brought Ruth under the, the cover of kindness. As she left that morning, she had no idea what was in store for her. But Boaz has blessed her in such a way that he's really become kind of a refuge for her. And what we see in, uh, as we looked last week, the refuge that Boaz is providing is really the hand of God providing. He's employing Boaz as his agent of blessing in the life of Ruth in ways that even Boaz doesn't realize yet. He has no idea what God is doing as the story unfolds week by week. And so we're just going to cover another handful of verses today and look at this story, try to enter in to this story. Uh, I titled the sermon, In the Shadow of Your Wings. In the Shadow of Your Wings. And that's really where Ruth finds herself. She is under the cover of kindness from Boaz, uh, from the hand of the Lord. So let's pray as we enter into this this passage. Lord, we thank you for all of the things that we have already celebrated in this service. We think of the cross. We think of your love, your faithfulness, your glory that that stirs us to, to praise. We think of the way that you author our stories, the way that you're sovereign in all of the things that take place in all things. You work them for your purpose and for our good. The good as you determine it best, that we would be more and more like Jesus Christ. We thank you for the fact that we can come here today and share a bond that even death cannot break. It's an eternal fellowship that we enjoy and a bond that goes deeper than any uh, earthly distinction or division could ever attempt. It brings Jew and Gentile together, slave and free, all cultures from all places. There's, there's, there's no division, perfect unity amidst those awesome distinctions that you have put in place. And so we thank you for this unity that we know. We thank you for the, the, the Christ that we share, who is the common in our unity. We thank you for your word, Lord. Now teach, we pray, lead us. Speak as we listen and as we apply ourselves to this text. In Jesus' name, amen. A shadow of your wings, I I can't help but think of that sermon I preached a while ago when we had Living Word here with us with that uh, that mother hen. Remember that that picture of that mother hen and that cute little chick under, just poking the head out from underneath that chicken? That's kind of how I picture Ruth here in this place. And uh, God is so good. I titled the first section here, um, verses 14 through 17, From Bleak to Bountiful. From Bleak to Bountiful. Let's just read these verses and we'll kind of unpack it as it goes. Verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, that's Ruth, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. She rose to glean. Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also, pull out from some of the bundles uh, for her, and leave it for her to glean. 
do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Interesting things happening here. You find that uh, these gleaners are working hard, and they've, they came early, and they've been working hard all day, and, and here now it's, it's lunchtime. It's time to, to get some nutrients and to be sustained once again. And so lunchtime takes place, and, and it's lunch with the landowner today. They're there, and, and they're tired. It's hot. What's Ruth going to do at lunchtime? How's she going to uh, figure this out? I mean, she's hungry too. She's been gleaning all day, but, but how do you enter into this, this awkward moment where you have all these people who are employees, you have even Boaz here, who for some reason, he's, he's here with his people to eat lunch. Where do you go if you're Ruth? Well, you probably hang back. You probably sit at a distance and you, you stay back away from the whole thing because you really don't have any place there. There's no right for you to be in the mix. A gracious invitation is given to Ruth. Boaz says, come here, Ruth, come here. Eat some of the bread and dip your morsel into the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. This is an amazing lunchtime experience. This tells us a lot about Boaz. First of all, Boaz is there with his employees. He is not too good to eat lunch with his workers. He's there in the field. This is a celebration of God's bounty and blessing. They have barley. After years of drought, now they're back and they're doing their thing and they're celebrating this. So he's eating with his workers. Now, he's also calling Ruth to be a part of this. He's inviting her into the mix. Now, it's not just come sit by me and, and the two of us will sit off away from everybody else. It's join us. Join us. So they pass her some food. Come dip your morsel in the wine. Have some bread. Boaz could have simply sent the food, right? He could have had Domino's deliver to the field. He, he could have simply brought the food and then said, there you go, thanks guys, have at it. And then, and then eaten you know, in his own place somewhere else. But he wanted the circle to be unbroken. And he saw this poor Moabite widow who had been gleaning. And he brought her into this family, this community, to enjoy the fellowship as they... He, he gave them himself. He brought to the mix both the food to sustain and provide, but also a relationship. He passed to her roasted grain. This is the specialty. This is the stuff that Boaz would have brought that was specially prepared. Now, if you've ever been to a restaurant where you have an all-you-can-eat scenario, you know that it is a faux pas to ask for a to-go bag. You don't do that, do you? I mean, you, has anyone ever successfully done that at an all-you-can-eat? I've always wondered how all-you-can-eat is the all-you-can-eat. Well, it's usually it's just when you're there, right? This is over and above. He gives her this food until she was satisfied. She has all you can eat and then leftovers. Here is a text, people. 
leftovers are biblical, okay? Just so you heard it today, leftovers are biblical. She takes what's left over from the abundance of this amazing lunch that she shared in relating and talking and interacting and eating, and she is satisfied. And then she takes what is left and she puts it in a little container or whatever it is. And who does she have in mind in this? Naomi. She is thinking beyond her own experience, oh, this satisfaction I know, I want Naomi to have. And so she takes this roasted grain, this exquisite food, and packs it into a little container, maybe a, I don't know if it was uh, Tupperware at that point, but something along those lines. And she tucks it away for later. Hmm. Thank you, gleaners. You are excellent. You've done a wonderful job. You may retire. I love it. Listen to a familiar passage that we read in the New Testament that I couldn't help but think of. Jesus then took the loaves. What kind of loaves? When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten all their fill, he told the disciples to gather the leftover fragments so that nothing would be lost. Interesting. There's leftovers. They gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from, oh, barley loaves. That's amazing. Same type of bread as our text here. Why the abundance? Why so much food? Was it a mistake? Did he just keep handing food out? Well, well I guess I overshot, right? It, too much. I made too much. What am I going to do? I don't know. We can't leave it. We don't want to waste it, so let's just take it with us. No, he made exactly the amount that he intended to make, knowing exactly how much it would take for the all-you-can-eat to be satisfied. The, the, the meal was perfect to the full, and then some. That's his point. That's the measure of God's grace as it comes both through the blessing of Boaz to Ruth and through Jesus. Twelve baskets full, twelve tribes, amazing number in view. God's grace is lavish. It is never just enough. It's always over the top, more than you could even imagine. So too we see with Ruth. She has more than she can eat. She's satisfied and then some. Bountiful blessings she has. Boaz continues to give directions, and this just takes it, and it, it moves it beyond what anyone would ever consider ex expected. This is way beyond uh, reality. He says, basically, I, I want you workers to allow her to glean wherever she wants. Now she's basically free to harvest. She's harvesting like anybody else, and she can go anywhere. She can roam as needed. And in addition to that, blow her out of the water. You take some of what you have labored that I've paid you to labor and gather and just like drop it right in front of her. In case, in case there's just not enough for her to find, she's just going to be walking around. Oh, there's a whole pile. Another pile. Hmm. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. This is just like God. Boaz has such a heart to bless. He wants to blow her out of the water with kindness. So too, Yahweh in his dealings with his people. An ephah of barley. 
That's what she ends up with at the end of the day. This is at least food for Ruth and Naomi to live on for two weeks. Two weeks of food in one day. That is a massive amount to be harvested. What one commentator said is that's double what even the best harvester would bring in 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 one day. This is Ruth. In fact, if you're Ruth (laughs) and and, and she sees what she's going to have to try to carry home, you're thinking Naomi is going to fall over. She is not going to believe this. She's going to wonder what I did. Was I robbing him? Did I hold him up at gunpoint? Well, let's get to that exchange. From bitterness to blessing, verses 18 to 23. From bitterness to blessing. Major changes taking place here, both in the storyline, but also in the heart of Naomi. She took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave to her what she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today and and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Let's live this a little bit. She comes home with this total change. And I can't help but think of these words. This is the sum up of Mara, right? Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Listen, why? I went out full and I came home empty. We went to Moab full. We came back empty. Not we, I. I stand alone. I have nothing. How does God retell the story? In one day, she goes out empty. No food. Totally uncertain of what she would find, even for her own welfare, if she would be safe. And she came home full with two weeks of food such that Naomi just is, is freaking out here. I mean, you see these, these, these shotgun blasts of questions. Boom, boom, boom. They come. First she shows her this, this ephah, this, it's like the, the five-gallon bucket maybe, puts it down, and Naomi's about to pass out. And then she's like, if that's not enough, I got the doggy bag, right? I brought this as well. And wait till you taste this roasted grain. It is so good. Now dip it in some of this. I brought that too. Imagine. Hmm. How did this happen? Where have you worked? And then before even an answer comes, she's blessing. Somebody did something special here. There's no way you could have done this just by gleaning. That's clear. And so she draws a conclusion immediately. Someone is responsible for this. May they be blessed. That's pretty cool. She knows that God has done something amazing. Blessed be the man who took notice of you or whose favor was bestowed upon you in this way. I don't expect that Naomi saw this coming. I think with what we've watched of Naomi and and the kinds of words and the place that she's been in, I think she saw bleak, not bounty, at the end of this day as the assumed arrival point that's that's not what she saw coming in fact she was probably braced for the worst news it's all bleak there's no hope radical change the man's name with whom i work today is you just this is that cliffhanger moment right because we know 
already. We already know who it is. We also know a little bit more because we can read ahead. We know it's going to happen. But Naomi doesn't know yet. She just knows something spectacular has taken place. And so if you're Ruth, you can play this, right? If the, the man's name with whom I work today is... Start the music. Go to the commercial break, right? Come on. Oh, don't leave me hanging. Next season, really? I have to wait that whole time? And then she says this name. Boaz. And I'm telling you, if, if you could just slow-mo this experience, you could watch the grace of God reach into Naomi and literally just change her. Soften her heart. That hard shell of bitterness was smashed. The speaking of his name. Boaz. Listen to what she says in verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, Yahweh, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Wow. This is a different name. This is Naomi again. This is not Mara speaking. A radical change takes place. May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, who is the whose? Who, who is in view? You sound like an owl. Are we talking about Boaz or are we talking about Yahweh? The ESV study Bible recommends that it's both. I think it's stronger than both. Yes, Boaz, but bigger than Boaz. The who is the Lord, Yahweh. And look, look at what she says of God. His kindness, Yahweh's kindness, has not forsaken us, the living or the dead. She jumps in a moment to all of a sudden seeing all of these possibilities. Not only could there be hope for us to live and survive, but there is also a future hope that can be realized because this man is actually a relative and one of our redeemers. A man who would have had such connections to uh, Naomi that he was in a position where he could, in fact, redeem their land. He could give them one of the most important pieces of the puzzle, a future, and maybe even a name. If he were to take Ruth as a wife and they were to have a child, the name could be redeemed and there could be a future. God has shown his chesed, his, his steadfast love, his kindness to the living and the dead. You know, her tendency over the past number of days has been to, 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 to assume that God, in fact, has forsaken them. That, that his kindness in the acts that he has performed has been forsaken. That, that, yes, his hand has been upon us, but not to bless, simply to punish, to deal bitterly with us. Not, not for our good, but now it's as if she begins to see, oh, I didn't think of that. Maybe there's something more here. 
to the story. I can't help but remember the poem that my dad wrote. Uh, I think it was 1995. Uh, this kind of looks like country where, where we live. I, maybe that's Baker. I don't know. Maybe Baker Lake down here. I don't, I don't know. But just notice the fog. You know, in the wintertime, how that water can stir up that and the, the air pressure drops and you see that, that layer of fog, almost like you can cut it with a knife, just really thick fog. But you know when you're walking around in the fog that somewhere up there, the sun shines. Naomi has been in the fog. She has not been able to see past her own despair, past her own circumstances, her, her bitterness. It's, it's all fog. There's no good there's no sun. And God has graciously taken her hand and brought her up. And it's as if we just witnessed her poke her head up out of the fog and all of a sudden she catches a glimpse of the sun, of the glory of God. Listen to what my dad said as he wrote this poem. Winter fog. In winter days when limbs are barren, and earth is browned and ground is cold, a white river boils. Slow-moving fingers seek out the lowest places. Earth's residents must reside there. The valley fills and all is still. While lungs take in the vaporous chill, the crystallizing cloud of gloom can make the eyes short-sighted. Day by day and breath by breath, the darkness so depressing. All hope seems gone and all seems wrong. Is anyone surviving? My dad was in the thick of it right here. This is his journey through the fog. Listen to what God did. But one escapes to a northern hill to find the sun is living still. An ocean white all glorious, bright, beneath him now residing. And his words of wisdom are, when days are dark and eyes can't see and painful shadows so confine, by faith take flight with soul gain sight. Above the fog, the silver sea is shining. You see what he's saying? Naomi, Come, C come, come up here, come, trust in him, look to him, pull your head just above the fog and you'll see there's glory to be had out here. He is in control. He is good. This is his hand at work. He is accomplishing a future for you beyond your wildest dreams. Trust him, look to him. Wait for Him. Hope in Him. Does that not meet us at times when the fog rolls in and it's hard to see? Naomi is not Mara anymore. She has walked out into the sun. She sees the Lord. She sees His hand. And she blesses Him through the work of Boaz. Now she gives instructions here to Ruth, verse 21. Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. That's an amazing point.
point to think about. This isn't just limited to barley. You stay in, come back the next day. This isn't a one-time event. I have a plan to bless you in ways you can't even imagine. Keep coming. Keep coming to me. And you will come home satisfied. Verse 22, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. She lived with her mother-in-law. Don't look anywhere else for food, Naomi says to Ruth. Now, just pause a little bit on this. You, you get this sense. Yes, there's a concern for safety. But why would Ruth not go back? What would cause Ruth to think, you know what? I, I don't want to do that again. What, what would you think, maybe? I, who am I to go back and have another day like that? My goodness, we have enough food for two weeks. I shouldn't really go back. I don't want to... to, to, to to step on his toes or make him think that I'm, I'm asking too much? And Boaz says, come back, keep coming. And Naomi says, trust me, don't look anywhere else for food, like Moab. Don't leave the promised land when God opens his hands and says, look to me, keep coming to me. Don't think that, that, that you shouldn't. Take my advice. Stay with it. Don't wander off. Hmm. So she stays and she harvests a tremendous amount under these conditions. She's, in a sense, a worker, but, but even more than a worker because the workers are actually helping her. And she takes home all of what she gets at the end of the day for both the barley and the wheat. That would have been April, May, and June, most likely. Three full months of harvest. She lived with her mother-in-law. It's interesting how this text lands, though, because, well, what do you do after the wheat harvest is done? Right? I mean, there's, we have some resolution here. We have some food. And we have a, a, an amazing man who's showing kindness and blessing. But what after that? What happens in July and August? What about when winter comes? What are we going to do then? You see, the... There's a bit of a, a question there. How's this going to unfold? And chapter 2 closes with that lingering. And chapter 3 picks it up. We'll look at that next week. I wanted to just consider these two words and how they meet in this text. Kindness or the chesed. This is the steadfast, loyal love and kindness of God. It's, it's on display here. It comes through the hand of Boaz, God's sovereign agent of blessing. Through his heart, God's sovereign tool of blessing, he's employing the heart of Boaz to blow Ruth and Naomi out of the water with his chesed, love, his loyal, faithful, steadfast, dependable, unchanging love. But it's, it's also his communion. You see, Naomi has wandered off over here and it's as if she's trying to find some place to just say, just leave me alone. 
just, I don't, I don't want any more. I just can't handle any more of this. And God has come to woo her back out of that place into the sun to walk with him, to be with him, to, to relate with him, to, to bless him and pray and, and delight in him. Hmm. They are both called to the table, aren't they? You picture Ruth sitting back away and Boaz saying, no, no, come. Come to the table. Come to the table. This couldn't be a better communion text because we have a table. And the call goes out, does it not? Come all who are hungry. Come all who are thirsty. Come. Come to the table. Come sinners from every nation, tribe, and tongue. You're a Moabite. Come. Don't don't stay back. Don't stay in the shadows. Come into the light. Come out of the fog. Come and eat. Come and eat. The bread, the cup, we have that in, in our text. It, it just points us to the table. The, the body of Christ, this is the bread. The bread of what? The bread of life. You are hungry. You are in need. I have all that you need. Come. This, this cup is, is my blood. I poured out for you. For the forgiveness of sins. You thirsty? Woman at the well, drink from this water. You'll thirst no more. It'll spring up within you, a a, a well of water. Hmm. Boaz is a type of Christ. He is a forerunner, one who foreshadows the future Messiah who would call all to come to the table. Come to the table. Be saved. Look to me. Trust in me. Repent of your sins and live. If you do, you will live. It's not just salvation. It's it's not just, I will take care of the problems in your life. It's not just, Come and and be forgiven. It's come and be with me. Boaz says it's not enough just to eat. I want to eat together. I want to talk. I want to walk with you. And so too our Savior invites us to relationship. The, the, The gospel is really ultimately good news because we get God The reason hell is so awful is because you you are separated from God in all the ways that you long for. The gospel meets us in that He is now ours and we are His. We walk with Him. Any religion that promises provision without relationship is empty and void. Oh, how many there are to choose from out there today proclaiming a gospel that is void of a relationship with Jesus, a dependence, a walk, a daily communion with Him. What a gift. Come and have your soul satisfied. Come eat. This is an all-you-can-eat. There is an abundance here. There's no lack. Reminds me of King David when he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, my 
my, my cup runneth over. It's, it overflows. You just keep pouring. And I'm like, no, it's full. That's more than enough. And he's like, it's still coming. There's more grace than you could ever imagine. Hmm. No lack at this table. And so I would encourage you as we prepare to come to think through the kindness of our great God who would accomplish salvation in such a way that He would not only call us to the table, but that He would meet us there face to face with His own Son who would take our place, who would die the death that we deserve. He took it upon Himself to pay for our sins in full and to be buried in what should have been my grave, right? That's, that should have been my future. And He said, I take it all because of my chesed, love for you. Rise again, giving hope that there is a future, there is a name, there is a certain future for us. Boaz points us to Jesus. And Jesus calls us to the table. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your grace. We, we don't deserve it. We feel like Ruth in this story. We, we just, we don't deserve it. And and, and we've been so lavished upon by you and by your, your son, Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. We also feel like Naomi. We, we feel like it, not only do we not deserve it, we have acted in ways that, that would betray this gift and would push it away and even spurn it. And yet you don't give up and you don't quit and you, you, you push through our resistance to, to save us all the way to the end. You pull us up out of the fog and you show us the face of your son, Jesus. And we worship. We worship. Thank you for being so good to us, Lord. You are so good. You are so kind. We love you. We thank you that we get you. The greatest gift we could ever receive. The gift of you. And so now we want to honor you in this time as we come to the table and remember the high price that our salvation cost, the love that you showed, and the joy of our certain future and hope. In Jesus' name, amen.